Welcome to this week's energy show. We have a term for the ups and downs in the solar industry. It's called the solar coaster. Market forces and temporary incentives cause periodic but inevitable booms and busts in the solar industry. I've witnessed three of these up and down cycles in the solar industry since 2000. Finding a way to be sustainably profitable is a real challenge since the solar environment keeps changing. Incentives spur the market growth. Competition evolves as companies rush in to take advantage of those incentives. Then the incentives disappear and the regulations change. So companies come and go. And then you have the whole the concept of the costs for solar installations are coming down so much that some people think that solar in the U.S. is going to be kind of like buying an air conditioning system or a boiler. It's going to be a local HVAC or a plumbing company that's going to install it just like the local solar company, you know, not, not a national change. So there's going to be some big evolutions happening. I like to get a longer-term perspective on what it takes to be profitable. So this week, we're talking about sustainable profitability in the residential installation business. And it's my pleasure to welcome back Paula Mintz, one of the solar industry's best-known market researchers. She started her solar market research in 1997 with Strategies Unlimited, then moved over to the, a director at Navigant's Energy Practice, and then started SPV Research in 2012. She's continuing to do her primary research on supply and demand in the worldwide solar PV industry, really looking at numbers objectively. She does primary market research. It's not secondary and she's not observing. She's really making the calls to figure out what's going on. And she's got great insights into what it takes to build a sustainable solar business. So welcome back to the show, Paula. Well, thank you, Barry. And how kind of you. My goodness. Now, blush, blush. <laughs> yeah, people can't see us blushing on, on the radio. I know, yeah. I know. It's, it's it's probably a good thing. Yeah, well, that's how I landed the gig because they said you had a face for radio. Oh, and okay, okay, right okay. Up. Is yeah. that why I'm here? I have a no, 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 no. We'll have the cameras running here in the studio. No, no, please. No, no. <laughs> All right. We digress. So, so first, tell us a little bit more about SPV Market Research. Well, SPV Market Research is really an outgrowth of Strategies Unlimited, which began studying, conducting market research in the solar industry way back in the 1970s and was, and was the first market research firm practice, whatever you want to call it, in the solar industry. So I was lucky to join in 1997 and uh, work for Bob Johnson, who essentially started the practice. Basically, that's how I got in it. And I got to tell you, I fell into it like a hole in the ground. Seriously, I didn't realize how lucky I was. I just wanted to practice market research on an industry level and focus on one industry, one technology group, so to speak. I didn't expect to say stay, but six months in, wow, I was I was hooked. I, it's like, I'm, I'm it's like never the, leaving. It's like a hole in the ground. You I fell in, and I you, now you can't get out. out. I could not climb out. Do not want to climb out. But there you go. It it goes that far back, and really, market research at its core is the study of market behavior. So that's really what I'm looking at over time, all the way through the various, you know, all the way from supply, as you pointed out, through demand. How is the industry behaving? How do we train end users and ourselves? And what are the pitfalls? Okay, good. The solar industry needs that research. It's great because it's going to help give us that map on, on where we're going um, because it kind of tells us where we've been. But let's talk a little bit more specifically about residential solar. What, what kind of research are you doing on the residential solar industry here in the U.S. and elsewhere? Well, essentially, again, back to the primary research, it starts all the way from supply, ends up through demand. So you look, you can look at it in, I guess, the, the marketing part of market research would describe this as tops-down, bottoms-up research. So in terms of the tops-down, bottoms-up research, I'm also surveying the installers to find out what they buy, what they're paying for it, 
where they're installing it, meaning what application. And I also have done some end-user research. Try to do a little bit every year, but some intense a couple of years ago to find out why they're buying. So just looking at it from the residential installer standpoint, I'm asking residential installers and have since my beginning of my career, again, what they're installing, where they're installing it. So I'm looking at their cost for the installation and the price of the installation way back my data go, again my personal data goes way back to 1997 trying to assess you know where on on that looking for trends trends in system prices and might surprise you that's in the US since let's focus on the US prices system prices have gone up they've gone down they've gone up they've gone down it depends on what's going on during a particular period and how much margin can be taken and margin is necessary to run a whole business definitely you got to pay people got to pay your rent kind of thing and also business models and the effect of business models such as the solar lease on installers who are focused on selling systems. So we're talking a little bit about the margins and things like that. A lot of companies in the solar industry aren't able to kind of maintain an operating profit, so they're borrowing money or they're getting investors to kind of keep going. How does that distort the long-term future of the industry? Well, you know, I think the distortion of the industry, you know, quite candidly comes back to a reference price for components that is really below the cost of most <laughs> capability to produce components. So the expectation for component prices, inverters, modules, is low. It's set very, very, very low. If you're looking at it from the investor standpoint, we've set an expectation that we're going to go down from likely a level that is really not sustainable. Investors expect constant less expensive, and users expect lots of less expensive and for the looking at the installer who's trying to buy and sell it if you're buying components of which you really don't have that much you know if you're a smaller to medium installer you don't have that much control over price so if the price goes up for you your profit and your margin goes down but you are stuck with a reference expectation by investors and others that you have to meet it's this sort of vicious cycle everybody expects cheaper but you have no control over your inputs really Right. Well, you know, I kind of look at the experience I've had doing residential installations over the past 15 years. You know, we started off at $10 a watt. So it was uh, $50,000 yeah. for a five kilowatt system. Exactly. And then it went to eight, then it was six. And when it was at six, I was I started to scratch my head and say, gee, when we go from six to four, and if I maintain that same 25% gross margin, I'm not going to have enough money to run my business. So you have to kind of increase the gross margin a little bit. And then it's six down to four. And now, you know, here we're installing routinely, you know, in the, in the three and a half dollar range or less. And the expectations from everybody are, well, Sunshot Gold is a dollar and a half a watt. Like my overhead is a dollar and a half a watt. <laughs> and, and so how could I possibly buy equipment for free? So where, where, where does this end or how does the industry kind of snap out of it and say, gee, we're going to be like the HVAC or the electrical equipment industry where there's a big markup? Um, because somebody's got to pay for the labor and the design work and the equipment's going to be cheap. How how does that evolve? I don't think it evolves that way, honestly. And sadly, the reason, sadly, the reason for that is that the markup is not acceptable to many people. So I think everybody understands when you're running your house, just as a homeowner, just as, just if, even if you rent, whatever, you're running your life you need a margin. You need a margin everywhere. You need some cushion between your costs, et cetera, and what you're bringing in. But when it comes to the solar industry, sadly, we are apparently immune from that. I mean, we're not supposed to 
apparently have any kind of a cushion. I have done work for government entities, I'm not going to name them, state and federal, where where when I explain, when I give them data about the real cost to the residentials, focus on residential, to the residential installer to actually get that stuff in there, they focus on the real cost. They ignore, these are the direct cost of the installation, which means that's not really going to, you know, there's the whole other business, right? right? So they look at those and they go, wow, this is really, really cheap. I said, yeah, but on top of that, so here's the price. The price is here because you got all this other stuff. Plus, you got to have more. You got to have some profit. Something's got to flow over to the to the next year, right? You got to. This has got to be sustainable. And by and large, actually, more than by and large, one hundred percent of the time, they come back and say, "No, no, no, no. It's unacceptable. This kind of margin, twenty five percent, thirty percent. This is just unacceptable. We can't accept that. It's got to come down. We got to. You know, this. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I've been kind of addressing that issue with various incentive agencies going way, way back, and they're saying, "Well, you know, you shouldn't make that much money." I'm like, yeah, but I got to buy trucks. I need insurance. I have workers' comp. I have to buy tools. I have to do all this paperwork. That doesn't come free. And more than that, if you went to them and you said to them, okay, well, your salary is here, but your actual needs in terms of cost and running your family is here. So I'm sorry, you really shouldn't make that much money because this is all you need. They would be horrified. Yeah, I, I never say that when I'm talking to policymakers. About, I always um, say that when I'm talking to policymakers. <laughs> well, <laughs> I want to get the policies through. I don't want to get thrown out of the out of the room. But we can't just look at the cost to the system from of a, a supply standpoint. We can't just say, well, our costs are five dollars a watt in order to run the business, and therefore you should buy solar five dollars a watt. Because guess what? People aren't going to buy it. The economics aren't good. They're not going to save them enough money. So in order to really make the market big enough, we need to have something that's a cost-effective offer to the consumer, whether it's a business or homeowner. So how do we reconcile that? Well, let me attack that from several standpoints. We as an industry, um, thinking way back to my 1997 and even before that, really did fail to make the argument that it's not ROI you should be looking at. It's independence from the utility rate volatility, period. You know, you want to be in charge of your energy future. Honestly, distributed generation solar is the way to go. You are instantly in charge of your electricity future. You States have – you interconnect. You – uh, we'll get to net metering in a minute, but you be you own the means of production. We as an industry have not been able to make that argument. Yes, it is expensive, but people, you know, the old the old saw is you spend a lot on you know cars. You, you buy Cadillacs, you buy a Porsche, you buy all this stuff that you really can't. There's no ROI there. You know, what are you talking about? There's a completely different reason. We've been unable to engage the end user that owning the means of electricity production is really where it's at if you want energy independence. Until the solar lease model came along. And that is no money down. And suddenly people began to leap on board and residential solar really surged primarily because of that model. It wasn't that it wasn't growing, but it surged. And that's because you took the high upfront cost away. Even though the high upfront cost has been going down, it's still a cost. You told them they could continue, end users, they could continue renting electricity. They did not get energy independence this way, which is one of the reasons I dislike that model, because it takes away the true value of DG solar, distributed generation solar, which is energy independence. I feel I've gone off on a tangent. 
Well, reel me in, Barry. Well, it's not it's not as much of a tangent. I I kind of look at it from the perspective of if we want to deploy a lot of solar, we need to make the economics cost effective okay. to the homeowner. Back and to the economics. So, so yes. that's that's kind of the critical thing. And in my experience, people won't pony up a lot of extra money for things like energy independence. That it's just like I, I don't you know I. I'd rather go out to a restaurant or buy a new car than, you know, be in it. Or they're not going to pony up a lot of money for backup power. And they're not going to pony up a lot of money, unfortunately, just to be environmentally sensitive well, and clean. They, I mean, that's just yeah. like a tiny minority of people. So most of them are like, well, if you can save me money every month, I'll do it. And that's the beauty of the solar lease. Now, the, the downside, it, you know, maybe the economics aren't as good, but it's really done a great job at, of driving the, the volume of the business. I agree. And by the way, and I agree with you there, we've not been able to make the, the value of energy independence clear, even though if you look at the utilities, look at, I mean, the paper today, San Jose Mercury News, our electricity rates, are they just went up. They're going up again. Natural gas rates are going up, even though natural gas costs to the utility are at a historic low, right? Because we have to pay for maintenance, and I could talk a lot on that, but there's a whole other subject. And we, uh, you know, and they have to run their businesses. So if you noted sarcasm in the way I said that, it's there. The, the difference is the utilities have a 30-year planning cycle, and they've got the PUC that are going to let them make these enormous investments, whereas a homeowner is going to say, you know, I might be in my house for another seven years, and I've got all these expenses. So so the, the lease model is there. The financing yep, model is there. So, yep. so when you do your surveys, I just want to get a little bit of an insight into what you're learning about customers' responses to their experiences buying solar, whether it's from a, a, a big company, a small company, a cash buy, a, a loan, or lease. What, what are some of the, the, the things that you've learned? Well, they run a spectrum. The solar lease company also kind of kick-started a robo-calling um, knock-on-your-door-to-sell-solar <laughs> sort of a, a system that, to my shock is the way a lot of solar, the primary way solar lease customers are acquired. So to my shock, because if somebody calls me on the phone and says, oh, we're going to make life easier on you, I say, please don't call me again and hang up. And then I never pick up the phone again if I see that number. But when I did the big research I did, and even my spot checks, the robocalling thing works. And this is for all income classes. And the lease tends to be, believe it or not, higher income classes the power purchase agreement for residential higher income classes. So oddly enough. So what's wrong with it? So it's working. It's working. And, and it's working for loans too. It's working for loans too. It's working for loans too. I'm not one of those people that says, that honestly believes as long as we get solar up there, any way we get it out, no matter the quality, it, that doesn't matter as long as we get more solar out there. I think we get, need to get high, high sol quality solar out there at a value to everybody. And that does mean that we have to take a look at the people buying the solar and, and figure out what price they will buy the solar at. The problem is since the reference price that's established by almost everybody, including ourselves, as this downward trend that is never supposed to eke up a little at all, unlike other products, you know, since we are forced in this downward trend, we're stuck. You're stuck. Small installers and medium installers are stuck trying, as you so eloquently put it, to eke out the same margin in a shrinking shrinking price universe. Reference price keeps, is supposed to go keep going like that. You want to keep a margin so you can support your business? How do you do that? Where are you going to cut a cost? And then it all trickles back up. 
So what advice do you have for companies that, that are experiencing this margin squeeze and may not uh, want to be putting robocalls in place? By the way, could you let everybody on the, the show know what your phone number is so that you can get a call from every single solar company in the country? Okay, 408 <laughs> No, I mean, I think I already do get a call from every single, at least yeah, There's a solution to that. I just disconnected my phone. <laughs> And so we no longer have a phone at our house. It's, you know, cell phones or email and that's it. So, that but then the they find the cell phone number. So you, you can run, but you can't hide. Yeah, you can't. You can't. Yeah, that's the way the world is going. Right. My suggestion? <sighs> it's a challenge because, you know, it went from 10 to 8 to 6 to 4. It's going to 3. The DOE wants to go dollar and a half. What do solar installers do? How can we maintain a sustainable business? Well, you know, I'm a small business owner myself. So I'll use me as an example. I, the you're smaller, you're quicker, you have all this data, you should be able to give it to me free too, or close to free too, all the time. And I, since I do a fair amount of pro bono work because I care about my industry and I want to see it healthy, now I have stopped taking <laughs> the I have no budget stuff because I, I want to take higher value, not because I'm going to make a million dollars, but honestly to feed all the pro bono stuff that I do for NREL, that I do for the DOE, that I do for small guys that I do for the medium guys globally, and it's important to me to give back. So if I keep taking small, unprofitable work, which I still will do on a case-by-case basis, I'm never going to be rich like my industry. But, if I, it, but I do need the higher value stuff. And the higher value stuff in terms of having a margin that's sustainable and can feed right back into the, like I would say half my business is pro bono, to be frank with you, that can feed back into that, it lets me do higher quality work. And there are customers out there that want the higher quality work. Unfortunately, that means you have maybe a smaller business. And what I'm saying is I can't. I, there's no advice that I can give you because the small to medium installers, no matter, with no judgment on the lease, right, you are competing. They are competing with no money down or a buyout lease at a reference price that's below $2. So how do you compete with that? Do I have any advice? I think there are still people buying systems out there. And my, I mentioned Bob Johnson. This is really quickly. I mentioned Bob Johnson. He recently finally got a solar system for his, uh, for his house. And he, did, he was never going to get a lease, uh, candidly. But he ran the numbers. And this was when, you know, this was before, well, this was during ITC 30% anxiety. And he penciled out. It would work out for him even without the ITC economically. And he's happy as heck having bought a system at $3.75 a kilowatt. You know, so there are people that will buy. And I don't know. It's a long way around of saying I don't really have good advice for you. Well, I'll just tell you what we're doing here at Cinnamon Solar. It's not, it's painful, but it's a necessary evolution. Big companies are going through the same kind of pain. And there is a lot of financing out there that makes it palatable to people. It's cost effective. So you can get, there's companies that are offering third-party leases if that's what you want to do. There's PACE financing. There's loans. So that's good. So you kind of, there are solutions to the no money down issue, which is great. But then the other thing that we're doing as, as an individual company is we're continuing to seek out the best most cost-effective products and installation methodologies that we can find, i.e., we're continuing to try and reduce our costs. I think what, you know, in in terms of our conversation here and discussion about the DOE Sunshot Goals and what that means, I think we need to refocus some of the industry's thinking about the fact that residential solar 
can't be a dollar fifty a watt. You know, maybe two and a half dollars a watt, maybe three dollars a watt. But just like you can't buy a car for five thousand dollars, or you can't put in central air conditioning for five thousand dollars, <laughs> you can't put a quality rooftop solar installation on your house for five thousand dollars. So there's a cost to that. There's a and and there's you can't go below that. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of bankruptcies, a lot of companies. There's no profitability. So I, I think solar. we kind of. It's it's going to be bad solar. It's going to be fly by night. There's going to be crooks. It'll go away. So it may take a little bit of time. Let's say that $3 a watt price, I'm just throwing a number out there. You have the ITC. It's $10,000. But as electricity costs keep going up, as maybe some storage benefits become available, then that's going to be more and more cost effective. Well, and again, back to my point with my with my former boss, he ran the numbers. He wanted to own the system. Energy independence was important to him. Saving money was important to him. And he did the math, penciled it out. It was better for him than a lease. He penciled it out that way, even though he wasn't going to go that way. So uh, I, you know, personally, I think we need a federal low interest loan, 3%. And that would get more people jumping on the solar bandwagon than the solar lease even, because I do think the value proposition when you really look at it over time is clear. But net metering, which I'm going to insist we get to whether you like it or not. No, I like net metering. I love net metering and it's under fire. I just, an article came out of mine on Renewable Energy World today. And if you look state by state by state, and since I kept all the records back to 1997 when I started with the practice, I did a little comparison on various years. And the the concern right now is uh, time of use uh, pricing, is uh, added fees and increasing. Once you add a fee, it's going to go up. So it's not going to stay one way forever. It's retroactive, uh, you know, back to, you know, we're going to settle. Oh, yes. And how you value the net excess, most important, potentially, that and the fees. And is this all going to be retroactive or do we... Do we change back to avoided costs, which is a long subject, and essentially it's less than retail. That's really all you need to know. Do we change back to avoided costs? Do we move to time of use? Do we add higher fees? And do we make that retroactive? All the people who thought, okay, we got our system, we're fine. Well, you know, the, the, the answer to that is 50 different battles in 50 yes. different states and 50 different public utilities commissions. And it's going to be a real challenge. And even when you talk about the lease financing, I mean, there's there's states that ban solar yes. leases because yes. the utilities have a monopoly on selling power. So, you know, it, we're in for a lot of change. We're in I, for a lot of change. I think, I think the overall trends, overall, you know, we have a good tax credit through 2021. We've got electricity prices that are going to continue to go up. We have costs that are going to gradually come down. We have a pretty dynamic industry in terms of big companies, small companies, and, and a lot of change there. So the future is good. But my attitude is we all have to continue to pull together really on a, on a state Ab- and a national level Absolutely. to make sure we get good policies. Absolutely. And by the way, we've crawled through, fought through, dragged ourselves through as an industry. You know, since I remember and I've got the records all the way back to 1974, it's always a battle. Because we are up against utility business models that don't want to change and that are changing, but so slowly. It's like the dinosaurs, you know, marching through the jungle. So we continue to make inroads and to continue to grow despite all of this. And Europe going down, but still there's a market there. You know, we continue to make inroads, and I think the momentum is on our side. It's just 
painful. Yeah, it just well, it it just takes time. That's, it takes that's time. kind of what it is. So, how can people get more information about SPV market research? Well, they can go to my website. What is that? www.spvmarketresearch.com, and everything's on there. You can go to Renewable Energy World and read my articles. All right, very good. Well, that's all the time we've got on this week's Energy Show. And Paula, thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Barry. All right, and thanks to all of our listeners for uh, listening to the program. If you missed any of today's show. You can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts.